the idea of having a diverse board, the data shows that it's good for the bottom line, good for everyone. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I'm lucky to not only have one, but two fabulous guests. As you all know, the mission of this podcast is not only to help you all create wealth for yourselves, but also to create a space to talk about how each and every one of us can pay it forward for other women as well, because we're in this together. And our guests today are leading by example by having built an incredible community that helps women get rich by making other women rich. Breen Sullivan and Kat Tehan are the co-founders of The Fourth Floor, a market network on a mission to close the gender power, wealth, and funding gap by diversifying boardrooms and cap tables. The Fourth Floor online community and on-demand talent marketplace includes a board seat exchange, private investment club, job board, and membership community. The Fourth Floor along with its approximately 800 ecosystem companies, 1,400-plus board-ready women, and more than 100 women-led funds and investors, is breaking the systemic barriers that contribute to the inequities in the startup ecosystem and company boardrooms. Now let's talk about Brain. Brain is a C-suite executive with concentrated experience in operations, commercial contracting, human resources, and employment matters. Organization, corporate, and deal strategy. Board of director communications and responsibilities, privacy and risk management, financial matters, and occasionally novel challenges. As a career general counsel, Breen has worked with startups and high-growth companies for nearly a decade, specializing in technology, software as a service, energy efficiency, and data science. She holds a JD from Tulane and a BA from Yale University. Breen also personally invests in startups and enjoys serving as a board advisor to startup and growth companies. Wow. What a CV, Breen. But let's talk about Kat as well, because Kat is very passionate about women's initiatives and evolving new opportunities to support change makers, leaders, and founders. She delights in bringing together people who can help each other in business, career, and life. Kat first started her entrepreneurial journey as an inventor of a popular consumer beauty product, which she brought to market internationally. She then went on to launch an upscale silk fashion line. She started her career in sales and product development in the fashion industry, working with major retailers. Born in Zurich, Switzerland and raised in Seattle, she currently lives in New York City with her husband, John, and their daughter, Sophie. Breen Cat and the Fourth Floor have been featured by Forbes, Nasdaq, Corporate Counsel Magazine, Law.com, The American Lawyer, Above the Law, Women on the Record podcast, and her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. Wow. What an intro, ladies. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. Amazing. But look, Breen and Kat, this podcast, as he knows, all about helping women build wealth for themselves and other women. And because increasing women's visibility is absolutely critical when it comes to wealth building, I always start out by asking my guests this question first. And you can decide who wants to go first. But who is a woman that you admire and why? This can be a female founder, an investor, activist, doesn't really matter. Well, I love this question. I think it's great. And I, I think especially considering the point of this podcast, I have to go with Sally Kronchuk. Yes. Love Sally. So Sally. Wait, was that your choice too? Yes. Well, I have a couple of moments, Kat, to come up with another, another answer. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's so funny. I wondered that. So Sally Kronchuk, CEO and founder of Elevest. I find her journey so inspiring because she was the CEO of Merrill Lynch. She was the CFO for Citigroup. So what that means is that she essentially climbed all the way to the top of the heap on Wall Street of all places, which you know, is, but especially when she was doing it, like the single most masculine place on earth. And then the journey, what that made her sure of and certain of was one thing. And that was that 
money needed to get into the hands of women in order to unleash a positive ripple effect that would lift up all of us. And so, you know, Sally is a very smart woman and she's right. And so hopefully, you know, Wall Street and the rest of the world will catch up with her vision. So Sally Krawcheck. Wonderful answer. That's a tough one to follow up on, Kat. I know. I just add to it because of the angle that really impresses me is the way that she's getting us to think differently for little girls. Because when she talks about how women as girls are taught to coupon clip and save, where the men are encouraged to try and invest and throw things at the wall, see what sticks. That conversation to have with younger girls is so important so that we can reach our goals in the way that's going to put us on the level playing field. Especially when it comes to boards, because women typically serve on nonprofit boards, and that's investing our time, and a lot of them are pay to play. So we're investing money and our time into what we hope is our passion project, but it's not accruing wealth for us. So, you know, you can apply the Sally mentality to so many aspects of our life, which I just think is so important. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> Sally, if you ever happen to listen to this episode, you know, you have three big, big fans sitting here and cheering you on. So, yeah, no, love that. I, I thought it was so funny that the both of you picked the same woman out of all the incredible women out there. Yes. But it makes sense within this unique context. Great start. Look, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how the two of you met. And I know it all started in 2018 when you, Breen, noticed a different set of behaviors between your male and female colleagues. Can you please elaborate and, and tell us your story? Sure. So my background, you know, as you mentioned when you were reading the bio, is as a general counsel for tech startups. And one day I looked up and I noticed that male colleagues all around me were sitting on advisory and startup boards and they were getting promoted. And by serving on those boards, they were also earning a spot in what you can call the board candidate pipeline. They were tapping into board networks. And that sometimes led to angel and venture investing opportunities. And then they were sometimes sitting on corporate boards. But me and my female colleagues, we really weren't doing those things. And it wasn't because we didn't want to do those things. It was because there, there really was no easy place to go to access those opportunities to get started on the journey. I also noticed, and this was the other thing that was unique from my vantage point as a GC for these high growth, these types of companies, many companies from small to large were under leveraging their board. And what I mean by this is that they could have had advisory boards, corporate advisory boards that could have helped them. But for whatever reason, they weren't prioritizing it. They weren't building them out. They had empty independent director seats that went unfilled year over year. So what that does is it means less board opportunities, for-profit board opportunities than there actually need to be. It's a full scarcity. So that's a problem for all of these women who would like to break into the pipeline. But it also is a problem for all of those companies because they're missing out on the value that boards could bring, even separate from diversity. But then, you know, even more so because the economic case for diversity is clear. So that, you know, the, that, that was my experience. Those are the insights I had. And then, then when I met Kat, and this is where Kat, let, let me hand it off to you. That's when I realized there was this incredible opportunity. Where it, it, and we started with women-led companies. We've expanded out to all companies, but I, I will let Kat flip. Yeah, thanks, Rain. Yeah, so my background as a founder, I just really experienced the challenges of trying to raise money, even, even though I had a male partner, just kind of being marginalized in the room was an issue. But then the larger problem was not understanding what advisory boards were and that we could have one and who to put on one. Um, I didn't really realize the potential of, of that until I met Green after closing my company and kind of, you know, describing what I had just gone through and then understanding from her, had we, you know, formed an advisory board, had we maybe put somebody with legal background on it, it could have helped us navigate what we were going through with the company and just the, the value potential of that. And then clearly the idea of having a diverse board, the data shows 
that it's good for the bottom line, it's good for everyone. So, you know, really, really understanding that really got me excited when she started explaining her vision for the fourth floor. And, you know, immediately I was like, okay, I want to help build this. I love that story so much. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because I've had many conversations with founders and, and oftentimes they start an organization or a company based on either, you know, a pain point or a challenge that they've identified or like a real world experience. So, so I, I love that this is based on this very, very visible real world experience that the both of you had from, from two completely different perspectives and really complementing each other's perspectives and creating this mission as a result of that. So I think that 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 is really, really powerful. And we all know when women come together to support each other in service of other women, magic just happens. So that's 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 wonderful. So most of our listeners are probably familiar with the gender pay gap, the gender funding gap, and maybe or hopefully even the gender wealth gap at this point. But from my personal perspective, we don't spend nearly as much time talking about the gender power gap. And as Melinda French-Gates pointed out in the 2022 Goalkeepers Report, which was published by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, gender equality depends on women having real power, not just empowerment. You have identified an opportunity to close the gender power gap by getting more women on corporate boards. I know this is a loaded question, but how do we get there? Yes, I love this question. And sorry, Kat, I keep just jumping in. I hope that's okay. So you know, there's something that I thought, you know, from the start of this journey, which is you cannot separate money from power. And at first, you know, it was kind of amorphous. It wasn't totally clear how this fit. Board, cap tables, investment, board seats. We knew they were just connected. You can't separate them. It took some time in this journey to, to kind of sort this out. And so I guess the, the best way to describe this is that we realized early on that it was equally important to shift the demographics of capitalization tables of companies. That's just as important and it's intertwined with shifting the demographics of the board for all those companies. And there was actually a New York Times article that came out in the last year, and it was making the point that although women accounted for almost a quarter of top executives, and this was limited just to the S&P 500 companies, but studies show that they actually only controlled around 1% of the value of the shares that were held among their fellow corporate leaders. And so, in fact, like it was even worse than that, you know, due to imbalances of stock ownership between male and female C-suite executives, the gender pay gap in this country, like in the companies where we do have the stats among top executives, it got bigger in 2020 and women are making 75% to their male counterparts. So these differences, of course, only get worse for women of color. And, and what this really all boils down to is that simply having a seat at the table doesn't necessarily promise equity in the workplace. And that's why ownership state is just as important as also getting to the C-suite having the seat at the table. And, and a lot of times boards, you know, the, the way that works is that a lot of equity is being transferred to the people that are coming in, not just at the C-suite level, but also the people that are taking those independent director seats and that are serving as advisors. That equity, when the demographics are, you know, pretty much all white male, all that equity is sitting with that same population. And that's why the Changing the demographics of the boardroom, it's not just the Fortune 500 that are in the news. What, what I think is the real headline and the real iceberg under the, you know, the tip that we can see, it's all of the private companies, the tens of millions of private companies in the middle, that right now there is no transparency and all that money and power is sitting with one group. So you know, we can start to, to make a difference and shift those demographics if we're getting women onto those boards because we're transitioning some of that equity over into women. And then, of course, when you have women in those positions of power, real power, making real decisions, then that trickle-down effect is going to start to shift that money and power within those organizations so that it's more balanced. Uh, you're really getting me hyped here, Bree, and I, I really love it. 
it's 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 so obvious how how invested you are in in this mission and it's just beautiful to to listen to the both of you talk um but cat i'm sure you you want to add something yeah i mean i i echo everything that brain's saying and the bottom line is money is power so as we transfer money into the hands of more diversity more women there's just gonna be a more ethical society and there's just these systemic barriers that we have to break in the various fields. So whether we talk about corporate board seats or venture capital or wherever, wherever this shift needs to happen, we need to get more people on board so they can. Absolutely. Speaking about money and power, let me play devil's advocate here because I think we as a society tend to believe it's always just about the money, right? But if it was truly just about the money, We'd already have way more women in leadership positions and on boards because the numbers show that having more women on boards yields positive financial returns for a company, right? So it's really about men, particularly white hetero cis men, not wanting to give up their power. What are the structural challenges and systemic barriers that you see that make it very hard for women to get on boards in the first place? Well, I love this question. I think it's a really important question to ask. I think one big barrier, and this is something you just said when you're posing the question, boils down to no legislative mandates in this country requiring diversity and leadership or at the board level. That is a problem. Now, the thing is, it's, there's also no legislative mandates requiring transparency for private companies in in this country, in the private sector, which is, you know, like I just said, the vast majority of these boardrooms that we're talking about here, they exist in a black box. We don't know the stuff. There is no requirement for the companies to make those statistics public. So, you know, it's totally opaque. And the lack of transparency it means having any sort of diversity legislation, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, that's like further down the pike. Like, like first, we even having some sort of transparency obligation would be a huge milestone. Now, so that's one thing. Now, I know there was the legislation in California that was challenged ultimately under the 14th Amendment and was thrown out of the courts. California tried. It, the, I think the important thing there is that even though, no, those laws have not become law, it changed the conversation. And it did have the effect, many, many companies, private companies that had aspirations of going public one day and wanted to be large enough where they would be doing business in California, they felt the pressure. And so it started the wheels turning. I think also some of those shifts have led to some other stuff we've seen, like with NASDAQ and the SEC. And so there's been a little bit of movement, but it's really a lot of it's almost, you know, it's not legislative so much as it's a market pressure to, you know, capitalize on that economic value that diversity brings. So, I mean, that's good. We'll take whatever we can get. But there there needs that mind shift needs to, you know, be more complete and across the board. The other thing I'd say is that there is a massive board candidate pipeline problem. And what I mean by that is not what it sounds like I mean by that. It's not, you know, there are indeed many thousands of qualified, diverse candidates out there. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is that the pipeline is rigged. And it's rigged with a chicken and egg requirement that you have to have prior for-profit board experience in order to be deemed part of that pipeline. That is what's keeping those otherwise qualified diverse candidates out because they can't check that box and there's no place for them to get that first opportunity. So therefore, it's, 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 a, it's a full pipeline problem, but we have a big one. And then another thing I would say is the recruiting industry and I don't mean to pile on. I think there's a lot of good intentions with the recruiting industry, but I think it perpetuates the problem. I think that's, it, you know, part of this is because recruiters are only servicing a really tiny fraction of board opportunities. It's 15% or less. So, and, you know, that those are the stats we know about. So in the opaque private sector, it's probably way less than that. So it isn't changing board demographics. So even if you have recruiters with good intentions that are trying to put diverse candidates into these seats, it's a drop in the bucket. Like it's a tiny number of seats. And, you know, so we can't scale change. And essentially it's keeping the status quo in place. So, you know, I think the recruiting industry needs to be disrupted. I think it's not effective. I think it's not efficient. It's not cost effective for companies. And it's not helping companies leverage and get value out of their boards. It's not shifting the pipeline. 
And then the last thing I'd say is that the way we think in this country about board service and accessing corporate board seats, that we need a mind shift. So we focus, you know, we think about recruiters, which I just explained why that isn't working. But then we also think about credentialing. And, you know, there's a lot of credentialing programs out there. And some of them are great. I'm not saying they're bad, but a lot of times they don't actually lead to women obtaining that necessary experience. So, you know, women are are making the effort. We're becoming really well prepared and educated. We're spending money, but we're not necessarily checking that box. So we're still kept out of the pipeline. So it's not not really solving the problem. So, you know, that's why with the fourth floor, we're really trying to disrupt that approach. So, you know, we are because we're leveraging technology and we're a matching platform driven by AI and this different model. We're trying to be that very cost effective, efficient uh, solution that brings a lot of value to companies. So they're incentivized, you know, market solution to start thinking about their boards and and making use of, of bringing some diverse talent into their companies because we're making it really easy for them to do it. And, and thus, you know, benefit both sides. You know, with the beginning of this pipeline, we're getting them started, getting the women onto boards of earlier stage companies or startups, you know, they're, they're getting compensated in equity. So that's a type of investment that they're going to be, be able to build wealth in a different way. Um, and that's really important. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily help when men referred their buddies that they play golf with, right? A lot of these conversations oftentimes happen in male-dominated spaces. And if you don't know really how to talk sports or play golf, like sometimes you're just completely missing out on these more informal conversations in those social settings. And it's it's really, really frustrating. So I definitely agree to, to your point, Breed, that we we need to make changes to how recruitment works within this context specifically. And I found it funny, Brian, because you always seem to already answer my next question, like indirectly, you're talking about, about laws mandating gender balance on, on corporate boards. And as you know, in November of, of 2022, the European Parliament finally adopted a new law mandating gender balance on corporate boards. And I know so many people in general, including women, actually, who are anti-gender quotas. My friend that I talked to specifically, she believes that societal change is the only effective measure to achieve gender equity in the corporate world. And while I certainly understand where she's coming from, and I would personally love for societal change to do the trick, I don't think we can get there without any quotas because just for context for the EU specifically, they first proposed this mandate on gender balance in 2012. That was at this point over 10 years ago. You know, everyone had a decade to to make changes to the gender makeup of their corporate boards. And some companies have made progress since then, but just not enough progress. So we're still far from having achieved that gender balance on corporate boards. Would love to to spend a few minutes talking about gender quotas on corporate boards. You were mentioning California. I I don't know if this is going to be a reality, at least in this country, but maybe there will be some companies now that they see that in Europe this is going to be applied across the board. Maybe they can they can learn a little bit from the Europeans in that sense. I think it would be amazing if we if we had those quotas. I think it would really help to drive change. And I understand the point that your friend is making. Maybe at first it it wouldn't be as true of a shift or as a change than if it came, you know, if it just bubbled up from the bottom because we changed as a society. That would be ideal. That being said, I think quotas, laws like what was passed in the UK and what's going on in the EU and what California tried to do, I think all of those things are incredibly helpful to to for to galvanize that shift and that change i i don't i don't know that it's going to happen in the united states actually so not only was the california legislation thrown out but then nasdaq had this big push to diversify or delist which was amazing adina friedman we love you shout out to you too 
Um, and then the NCC came out and backed that move by NASDAQ, which was really powerful and really great, but now is being challenged in the Fifth Circuit and the court. So will that be thrown out as well? Absolutely might happen. Now, Goldman Sachs was another shift, that another um, important thing to discuss. This is maybe two years ago now or three years ago now. The Goldman Sachs came out and said that they would not support taking a company public unless it met certain diversity metrics with its board. And this was because of the economic benefits to diversity, I think was the primary motivation behind it. That also really was a really important movement. Now, NASDAQ and Goldman Sachs and the SEC, you know, this isn't government legislation coming down. I do think it would be very beneficial in the short term. I'm skeptical it will happen. So therefore, I think it's most important that we focus on the market solutions. What market forces and pressures can we put in place that start to drive this change? And, and yes, maybe one day it, we won't need the market pressure and the force and it will just happen naturally because we're a fully balanced society. But I, that isn't tomorrow. And I don't want to wait long enough for that to happen. So, you know, that's why we're really focused on that. The market solution angle. And, and that has a lot to do with the framework that we've created, where we're really trying to incentivize companies, make it so worth their while that, you know, that it's really helping their bottom line in so many ways that they're going to engage. And so even if it's not really specifically about board diversity, the value is just very clear. So therefore, if the ripple effect, we get companies making use of this efficient resource that saves them money, and we end up shifting the demographics of the smaller company boards, which we think will have, will trend, you know, will start to change the, the power and wealth gap in this country kind of from the middle out, right? Versus trying to only focus at those handful of companies at the top. And I think it's important to note that there is a cultural shift happening and there's some enormous problems that we're facing healthcare, climate change. And companies are realizing that diverse leadership, thought leadership is really essential to solving those problems and bringing down risk. So I think that'll be part of the market pressure that companies will have to diversify just to innovate and keep ahead of the game. No, and I agree. I think it's absolutely the right, right approach because we all know politics and policy tend to move a little bit slower than the market on a very capitalist society like the one we have in, in the United States in particular. It's a lot quicker when 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 for-profit companies are the movers in the space and help foster and nurture that societal change because, you know, it, it's business leaders that a lot of people also look up to, right? But it just just doesn't sit right with me when people just don't see that systemic discrimination and power systems result in men usually having an inherent head start. And in some cases, women simply need that preferential treatment because otherwise we'll never be able to close that gap. If you continue to treat men and women 100% equally, both will continue to progress, but that gap will always remain in place So, oh, yeah, I could talk talk about this all day long, basically, because it, it really upsets me. But I just love that 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 you have dedicated your time and energy to to solving for this. I would love to pivot a little bit because with the fourth floor, you have created that incredible community that helps women create wealth by closing the gender wealth funding and power gap. And you're thereby creating this really virtual cycle because everything is interconnected to your, to your points earlier. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how your private backroom investment club supports that overall mission? Yes. Yeah, so so the, the concept of an investment club, like you pointed out, it, it was always there because of this virtuous circle and the fact that the problem we're trying to solve for, which is the gender, power, wealth, and funding gap. It is holistic and it, you know, it's complex. And so the solution is going to be holistic and there's going to be some complexity 
as well in order to be effective. So that complexity is this virtuous circle. We've understood better during this journey exactly how we can make it really effective and create hopefully this flywheel effect that can it help to get more money into the hands of women and you know un unlock value for all of us. So our backroom investment club in its current iteration it's it's really fairly new. It is a way to bring women and underrepresented supply so pox founders, investors, and funds together for mutual benefit. It's a new way to do it. Our ultimate goal is getting more women to be writing checks of all sizes, small checks, angel-sized checks, limited partner-sized checks to invest in women-led funds, and, and also writing venture checks for underrepresented founders. So we think that virtuous circle can have a really, really powerful effect because just like all the stats we've been talking about when it comes to women sitting on boards or women actually holding a, a meaningful stake of that equity and of the power and the money, the same thing when it comes to investing. So we didn't know this at first. And then we found out by speaking with women that were in the fourth floor ecosystem who were general partners of venture funds that the check writing power is also a huge problem in this country. I think it's 11%. I think it's pretty close to that, as far as anyone knows, of the, the people who actually have check rating power who are women. So that means 90%, nearly 90% of all the decisions being made when it comes to writing that check, it's a man making that decision. So that creates this trickle effect of just all of this inequity. Women and underrepresented founders are way less likely to be invested in in that scenario. And also, we're not having enough women who are not GPs, but who are accredited investors think of themselves as, as someone who has the ability to write a check. They're not doing it. <laughs> and, and so they might be way more inclined to, to donate and, you know, go the philanthropy route or like Kat said, pay to play and serve on these not-for-profit boards. I mean, it's starting to change a little bit, but there has to be a big mind shift here as well. They're not stepping up to the plate and writing that, that check to participate in the venture investing world or to become an angel investor. So in the back room, we have these three different stakeholder groups where, you know, on the one hand, underrepresented founders who are seeking funding. On the other hand, women-led funds who need money in their fund and who are more likely to invest in those women-led founders. And then the third stakeholder group, which we think in many ways is almost the linchpin, like the most important, they are accredited investor members who many of whom have joined us because they're aspiring board candidates. We want to help them really think of themselves in this new light and, and start getting involved, either as a limited partner investing in one of those women-led venture funds or angel investing directly. And, you know, we just, it's so important that women are involved because women investors are who invest in women. And we all know the stats, the terrible stats from, you know, 2021, it was just a, a little bit over 2% was, you know, VC funding was going to women. I just saw that last year it backslided to 1.9%. That means we're going in the wrong direction. And that's terrible. And what I think the other important thing that, that society needs to understand is that it is not a zero sum game. And that by investing in diversity, it will unlock billions. I think there's a McKenzie study that I forget off the top of my head, but it's something like it'll unlock $5 billion globally. But we just, Breen and I, I just, trillion. trillion, I'm sorry, sorry, trillion. Yes. But Breen and I just really recently discovered it in the femtech industry and how little investment or little research is done on women and how much that's costing the healthcare system in general. So, you know, if we're 50% of the population, but less than, I think a single digit of research is done on women for medications and procedures, then that's not a good outcome. It costs everyone more money. So many thoughts here, but uh, we're like a thousand percent aligned. That's actually one of my goals with this podcast as well. You know, the majority of my my audience members are young female professionals in their 20s and early 30s. And I want them to start shifting their mindset as well. Now, a lot of them 
are just starting out with investing in the stock market. So like they still have some time to be invested in the stock market before they can even think about writing angel checks, right? And they are still working on increasing their salaries. But that's also something that, for for example, for me personally, I'm about to finalize papers for my first ever angel investment. And I'm so excited about it. It feels so incredibly empowering and just being able to support fellow female founders, especially those who are working on something that benefits other women. I think it's one of the most rewarding things you can do. And when you then also get to sit on their board, like for me, for example, I'm joining that startup as an advisor, you know, being able to unlock opportunities for these founders, connecting them with members within my own network, advising them on things that are within my own expertise. It's, ah, it's just so, so cool. I want to unlock more opportunities like these for, for other women and get especially young women to think about that early on and not just when they're in their like 50s or 60s. I would love to also see more age diversity on, on these boards. Obviously, there is a lot of like systemic and structural challenges such as gender pay gaps that prevent younger people from, from joining these boards, um, especially in the United States where you usually have to be an accredited investor to become involved as, as a, a limited partner in, in the fund or to write checks in the first place. But I think it's such an interesting, interesting conversation and we need to have more of these conversations. And actually, while you're talking about the statistics, I was pulling up my phone because I saw a statistic a while back from, I saw it in a Forbes article, I think, and I'm just reading this out to you. The United States is missing out on up to $4.5 trillion in annual GDP by not investing efficiently in women and minority VCs. That's crazy. So clearly <laughs> it isn't just an ethical issue. It's a very, very serious economic issue as well. Yes. We could create more pie for all if we opened yeah. up the networks and got rid of the unconscious bias. Right? And that's, yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. I, you know, one one small little side note I have to say to what when you're talking to your audience and they're younger and they feel like, OK, it'll be a while until I'm an accredited investor and I need to, you know, first really start earning more money and getting promoted. I, I just need to make the point that if you are able to secure an advisor position, even with a very small startup, that often correlates with a significant increase in your salary because it gives you something. When you go sit down across from your boss and you're negotiating a raise, if you can point to that, you can say I'm strategic and not tactical. And that's incredibly beneficial when you're a woman because the implicit bias is that you're not strategic. And if you haven't already done that job before, it's hard for your boss to imagine that you would excel in that role. And it's not gonna be the same when he's looking at his male direct report. So that, and I feel passionately about this because of many real world examples. So to your younger audience, if they're thinking about this, you know, go out and find a really early stage startup that can meet you where you're at in your journey. Start doing it as soon as you can. Get yourself on some of those advisory boards. Start pointing to that experience that will help you get promoted. It will help you negotiate for larger salaries. You'll become an accredited investor sooner. And now you're an accredited investor you already you already have a for-profit resume, board resume that's that's getting started. That it opens up so many different networks and so many different opportunities. By the time you're in your 40s or in your 50s, you will be a limited partner in venture fund. And then you'll really be, you know, actually getting a piece of that pie for yourself. I think I saw the statistic that it raises your value by 15% if you have a board seat on your resume. So the pay gap is directly related to the wealth gap. <laughs> Thank you so much for those incredibly valuable call outs. I'm sure members of our audience will will do a little bit more research on on what it means to be an accredited investor. Obviously, there's different regulations across different countries. We have a very diverse set of, of listeners who are spread mainly across North America, some in LATAM, 
and and a good chunk also in Europe. So that might not necessarily apply to you, uh, but definitely do some research on what the regulations are in your respective home country. But there's also these days, like you don't even have to write like five, six figure checks, right? There's these alternative investment platforms such as Republic, for example. You can start investing with as little as 50 bucks. Like how amazing is that? But I think so it's also important to keep in mind to become an advisor of a startup. You don't have to be an investor of it, right? But you may earn equity. So that's a great way to just get started. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love how you pointed out that it can actually increase your your value and gives you something tangible that you can then talk to your manager about in regards to getting a raise or, or a promotion or like best both at the same time. Right. And, and and to Kat's point, you are accruing your own personal portfolio of wealth because you're getting equity for that position almost always. You know, those are there's the FAST framework. F-A-S-T is a great just go there. It's it's public. It's online. You can read all about what is the market for startups when you're negotiating equity compensation for an advisor role. And you should. And it's it's a lottery ticket because early stage startups you know, there, there is that chance that that teeny little piece of equity that you get as an advisor when it's a baby company could be worth an, a ton of money one day if that company is successful. And if it's not, okay, but you're still earning equity. So I think that's also a really important point. You're earning equity, you're earning experience, you're expanding your network, you are earning credibility. Like there, there is really only positives. And especially if the company is working on something that, that truly aligns with your own values and, and, and your, your passions. Right. And it's really hard, but it's fun. Let's it's yeah. exciting. Startup world is, as you know, it's a roller coaster, but it's super energizing. Absolutely. Okay. Ladies, we're almost up on time, but I still have two questions for you. So the first one, would love to make it very tangible. Let's say I become a member of the fourth floor. What, what, what happens next? Can you kind of like walk me through what my ideal life cycle as a member would look like from start to finish? Yes. So, okay. So if you join us at, in an individual capacity as someone who is interested to advance a for-profit board career, you want to get started somewhere and, and or you're interested in investing, then you would go to our website you would read about the different membership options available to you as an individual. You would click on the one you want. When you start, when you once you have purchased the membership, then you're directed into onboarding. You give us a bunch of information about yourself. You set your preferences. And this is you know, specific to the kinds of board opportunities you're interested in, the kinds of investment opportunities you're interested in, et cetera. And, and, and you can take time doing that, you know, do it all at once. You can do it at your own pace. Once you've given us that information, your profile is created and our AI tool in the back will start to generate recommended opportunities for you. They'll be emailed to you. You can also uh, engage with the platform as much as you want to. We have a board seat exchange where there are many hundreds of available board opportunities, Many of them are advisory board with smaller companies. You search and filter through all these opportunities, find the ones that make sense for you if you want to be proactive about it. You can do the same thing in the investment exchange. Now, in order to to be accepted into the investment club, you do have to self attest to be an accredited investor. You know, the guidelines are there so you could read about it. And I should mention there is a criteria on the individual member side, board candidate side. You need to have at least 10 years of professional experience. And you need to have reached a requisite level of seniority. You're free to purchase the membership. We take a month where we review, uh, make sure that you meet those criteria. And, and then your, your membership is sort of finalized. And we also might be having a, a longer application process starting soon. But today we don't. On the company side, it's a very similar process. If you are a startup, meaning sub 10 million in annual revenue, then there is a membership for you, which is only $500 a year. Same process that you would purchase that membership. As a company, you create your company profile and account, set preferences. You are recommended talent. So women to join your advisory board, to join your 
your governing board, depending on what you're looking for. And you can also make use of our job board. And the one great thing is that you have the opportunity to nominate two women in your network or in your company to join us on the candidate side. They get to join for free. Larger companies, it, it's, a, it's a higher price point. You get to nominate more women executives, um, but it's the same idea. So we also give you credits, DE&I credits, if you're a company, for the for-profit board careers you've advanced. And we give you a seal. So we want to help you that way too. I think I covered it all. Oh, yeah. On, in the investment club, if you're a fund, if you're a woman-led fund and you want to join, it's a similar process. We actually are assembling a steering committee of women-led funds right now. We want to make sure that we're learning from those general partners as we really build out and craft our backroom investment club. Founders, when you join us, if you're a startup founder and you want to seek funding in the back room, as long as you're women-led or BIPOC-led, you can do that. It's just a slightly higher price point to, to have access to the back room, but there is nothing else. So we're not taking equity. Um, it's really an incredible opportunity. And then you're able to seek funding with all of those funds and all of those investors. I think I, I, think I covered everything, Rich. You did, but I'll just add that that we also have a really uh, fun community piece. We are really big about gives and gets because if you don't ask, you don't get. So this is us giving women permission to ask because we often don't. So, you know, advisory girls, resources, and we do a lot of programming. We offer a lot of our programming for free because we want to encourage every woman to achieve her goals, but then we also record them and then keep them um, on the platform for anybody to access anytime. We have, correct me if I'm wrong, Green, over 400 lawyers. We have lots of templates and guides for people to access. And then, you know, other, other resources that the community contributes. And then we love to shine spotlights on our members. So thought leadership pieces, we do panel discussions, we hold a lot of programming. All of it is so that our community can meet each other because those advisory roles, they're based on relationships that is part of this networking that we're trying to approximate that the guys have, right? So this is every, we take every opportunity for people to meet each other. So, because you never know where the magic will happen. Right. Oh my God. Well, so <laughs> correct. And, and also in the, all of that programming, the resources, the templates, a big part of that is also to help women uh, access, say, board bio templates and board resume to, and like really feel comfortable creating a persona for themselves as a board candidate. So I, I didn't mention that. I want to say that. And similarly for startup founders, we help you with resources, uh, workboats, et cetera, help you think through who should I be adding to my advisory board? What types of skills am I looking for? Who would help me? So, you know, we're really trying to uh, give everyone a common vocabulary, give them common reference points so that, as Kat said, they can they can start to forge these meaningful and enduring relationships. And then they have all the tools to formalize it into this, you know, this actual exchange of money and power, which, you know, is our ultimate goal. So, yes. Well, ladies, I'm sold. <laughs> I still have a couple of years to, to go to meet those minimum requirements. But to anyone out there who is a little bit more seasoned into their career, definitely consider that if you're based in the United States would highly recommend to check it out it's it's super inspiring and also to create just like a community around that where women can be vulnerable with one another sharing their personal experiences their hardships but also recommending other women and i love that you have this referral system in place where where, where a member can then nominate two other women to become a part of your your community and database for for board candidacy as 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 well. It's really all about like paying it forward because again we're 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 in this together. It's I just want to interrupt one second though because we are actually international. We are no, you are not. Yeah. This is incredible. No, absolutely. Oh, so many more opportunities. Yes, we're Thank working people. with a venture fund out of Turkey. We I put together a founder from Dubai with an advisor in the U.S. So we are international. It was, you know, birthed out of the COVID time and we just happened to move to a digital platform. So it grew organically. It's not a big footprint, but everyone is welcome. And we know that a lot of international companies are looking to move and do business in the U.S. And therefore, we have amazing advisors to offer them. Love that. Thank you so much for that call out. That's super, super important 
to to note and I, I love that so much because the internet has really given us all the opportunity to grow closer to one another and connect exchange ideas and resources and to be able to 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 recruit women from from all over the world is is honestly really really incredible well ladies i have one final question for you today and I don't only like to always start out with the same question, but I also like to close with the same question for each of my guests. And you can decide who wants to go first. But if I gave each of you a million dollars to invest in either a company or a cause that would benefit women, where would you invest? We're going to say the same thing. Almost totally sure about that. You can say you would invest it in the fourth floor. That's totally perfectly fine, by the way. 100%. Not only because I think it's a good investment, but I think it's just good for society. I think we're, we're hitting two birds with one stone, even though that doesn't feel right. But, you know, we're working on the greater good. <laughs> right. We're three birds. Love, love that love that women women supporting themselves believing in their own mission that's that's exactly what we need so thank you so much for sharing that to all you out there really i know i've said this just a few moments ago but you should get involved if you are a board candidate and investor you can join the fourth floor by either nominating yourself or other board and investment ready women you admire to get on the waiting list if you're a founder or working for a startup, you can join the community to find advisors, seek funding, and nominate amazing women you know to be board candidates. And I'll also make sure to link to all of those resources in our show notes. Reen, Kat, this was such an incredible conversation. I'm so, so pumped. This was the best possible way to start my day. So thank you so, so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you for all the important work that you do for women all over the world. Um, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this venue to, to share our thoughts. It's really important. Thank you. Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency it helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. If you already left a review, first of all, thank you, but why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich.